509 BC, and so Zephyr is, is um, prophesying during during his reign. So um, this this book is going to show us the seriousness of God's wrath against sin, and also the possibility of a satisfying salvation uh, in Christ. And so uh, the gospel according to, to Zephaniah, uh, as we we've, we've been as Kevin's been going through the prophets and and seeing how the how we can see the gospel uh, through through each one, and um, if you think about Luke twenty four, uh, at the end of uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, turn there real quick. Jesus says uh, in Luke twenty four verse forty four, then he said to them, "These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets." And the Psalms must be fulfilled. Uh, and then he goes on in verse 47 and says, uh, And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So we see um, that everything in, uh, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms is really ultimately about Jesus. Uh, and then if you think about Romans 1, um, Paul says that the, the gospel was promised beforehand through the prophets. And so that's what we're we're aiming to to understand uh, as we as we look at these um, minor prophets. So I'm going to start uh, just by reading the first few verses of of Zephaniah. Let me flip there. <clears throat> okay, the the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah. In the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beasts. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs, to the, to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Uh, so just already in these opening verses, uh, we see some of the most dramatic and, and silencing um, verses really in, in all of the Bible. Uh, you see this kind of imagery of, almost a reversal of, of Genesis 1. Uh, so in Genesis 1, God's good and ordered world, and, and here we see uh, it goes back into rebellion, disorder, and darkness. Um, if you look at specifically at verse uh, 4, <clears throat> we see uh, it mentions the, the false god of Baal. Uh, so Baal was the, the god of... Um, the storm and fertility God, and so the people were tempted to trust Baal for the rain that they needed instead of instead of trusting in the Lord. Um, if you look at verse five, uh, we see it, it's a picture of uh, people that bow down before false gods. Um, so, in other words, the people of Judah Judah were being good religious pluralists, uh, you know, claiming to worship God, but also uh, worshiping idols as well, um, so they were succumbing to the cultural pressure around them. Um, Milcom is a, a reference to the Ammonite god, um, 
And, and so really we can learn here that, that worshiping God and something or someone else is really not worshiping God at all. And that, that's what um, the people were doing. Um, and as, as we think about this, this theme of idolatry, uh, you know, what, what is idolatry? Well, idolatry is loving anything more than Jesus and treating anything as, as more important than him. And so we could look back at this, you know, old text and, and wonder, well, do, do we really have idolatry today? And, and uh, even though it doesn't look the same, there's definitely um, idolatry in our 21st century world. Um, and, and as we think about that, uh, many times it's turning good things in, into ultimate things. Uh, you know, just a, a few examples, maybe um, grades or our houses or our families. Uh, could be relationships uh, or approval of other people or uh, our money or jobs, um, uh, all kinds of sexual immorality. Um, could be sports uh, or social media, you know, our phones. And, and many times, just simply put, uh, we just worship ourselves. So uh, we, like the people here, uh, even, even though it doesn't look the same, we we still have the same same struggles of idolatry, and unfortunately, it's not not just in the culture, but also uh, in, in the church. Um, so, verse six, uh, we see that that they they were pretending to believe in God, but living as practical atheists. So they they said, you know, would claim claim to believe God, but their their lives uh, were were not matching up with that. <clears throat> uh, if you look at at verse 7, uh, it talks about the day of the Lord, and, and we're going to see this is a common, common theme in, in this book. Um, so, so what is the day of the Lord? Well, in one sense, it's judgment against those who sin against God, and in another sense, it's also blessing for those who, who follow God. So when you hear the, the phrase, day of the Lord, you can, you can think of it in, in both of those ways, and, and we'll see how that plays plays out as we go go throughout the book. Uh, also, we see that the prophets use the day of the Lord in, in two ways. Uh, one, in a more immediate way, and then, and then in the, also in the final judgment uh, that is to come. Uh, and we'll also see that played out as, as we go throughout the book. Um, if you look at, at verse 8, it talks about officials, uh, and, and that's just referring to uh, public leaders, uh, whether it be government or, or military. Uh, also, in verse, the, for, it refers to the king's sons, and this would be just a reference to, to the royal court. Um, and, and you also see a reference to wearing foreign attire. And, you know, you can think, well, what's wrong with wearing, wearing uh, this certain attire? And it, there wasn't anything wrong within and of itself, but it was a reference to desiring to be like other nations and, and worshiping their gods. Um, so let me, uh, let me read the, the second half of, of chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 7. It says, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, 
a well from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the traders are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time I will search Jerusalem with lance, and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their goods shall be plundered, and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the Lord, the sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end. He will make all the inhabitants of the earth. Okay, so uh, as we as we look at um, the rest of the first half of of chapter 1, uh, we see in verse 10 and 11 that this, this uh, judgment is not just against the officials and the king's sons, um, but also includes all the residents of the city. So uh, a judgment against uh, all, all of the people. Um, and you see this, this uh, crying and wailing and loud crashes, uh, kind of sounds, sounds of war accompanied by uh, deep pain and grief. Um, the the fish gate is a uh, reference to the the main entrance from Jerusalem to the north, um, and the the second quarter is it was the city section north of the temple. Uh, if we move down to verse twelve, um, we see it says at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps, um, and this lamps it's it reflects. Uh, that that is going to be a thorough uh, like searching uh, that that God is going to do. Um, verse twelve also gives us a picture of people that are complacent and unmoved and spiritually uh, apathetic. Um, if you look at the the second half, it says, "And I will punish the men who are complacent; those who say in in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will He do ill." Um, so this this reflects what they think about God that that uh, He is not active and and is complacent and we know know that that's not true, uh, but but these people are really saying that that God is not a not really a factor uh, in their lives. Uh, so again, we get this this idea of um, practical atheists saying that they believe in in God, but uh, living their whole life as as relying upon themselves. Um, and and as I said, the city lamps. Uh, just points to the thoroughness uh, of the search. <clears throat> uh, if we look down at verse 14, uh, we see this uh, theme of the, the day of the Lord again, and this warning uh, that the great day of the Lord is, is near. Uh, and then we get uh, detail of, of a little bit more detail about this in verse 15 and 16. Uh, it says, a, a day of wrath, is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Um, so get this very 
uh, horrifying view of, of God's judgment that is, that is coming. Uh, if you look down at verse 17, uh, we see that all this judgment is because, because of the people's sin. Um, if you think about it, the very first truth of God uh, to be denied, you know, going all the way back to the, the Garden of Eden, uh, is, is the doctrine of, of God's judgment. Uh, you know, think about where the servant says, you will not surely die. And so um, we, we see that, that being played out here as well, uh, if we really believe in God's, God's judgment or not. Uh, we look at verse 18. Uh, it's a good reminder to us that we shouldn't put our uh, hopes in, in the riches and accomplishments uh, because they, they will not be able to, to save or deliver us. And so uh, we shouldn't give our, our hearts over to silver and gold uh, and not, you know, not letting those things capture um, our hearts. Um, so, so that's a good, good reminder to us as well. Uh, as we look at, at chapter, the beginning of chapter 2, uh, so just kind of a summary of chapter 1, uh, we see God's judgment on, on Judah, on his, his own people uh, because of of their sin, um, and chapter two is, is going to be uh, talking about God's judgment against the nations as well. Um, so, if we look at chapter two, verse one, we see a reference to shameless nation, um, and that that literally means uh, one that does not long for the Lord. Um, and so, uh, that that reminds us of a verse like Psalm eighty four two. Uh, that says, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And so um, the, the people uh, were, were not longing uh, for the Lord here. <clears throat> uh, if you look at chapter 2, verse 3, uh, it says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Um, so here we see that the people are commanded to humbly seek the Lord. Uh, I, I think about the example of story in the New Testament of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, uh, where we see the tax collector, uh, his posture is, you know, he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the, uh, the Pharisee, he starts his prayer off, you know, something like, uh, God, I, I thank you that I'm not like, like other people. And so we see the, the pride of the Pharisee, but the humility of the tax collector uh, as he humbly approaches God. And, and that's, that's a good example uh, to follow here uh, as Zephaniah uh, tells the people to seek the Lord uh, in, in humility. Uh, and so as we think about this, this idea, uh, I think one thing that keeps us from seeking the Lord is our own pride and, and selfishness, uh, and, you know, realizing that our natural bent is to turn, our, turn toward ourselves and, and to be inward focused. Um, then if you look at the phrase, uh, who do his just commands, so th- this is a, a call uh, to seek the Lord specifically uh, by obeying him uh, and, and doing his just commands. Uh, also see the phrase, seek righteousness, uh, so this could remind us of Jesus' words in, in Matthew 6, to seek first 
God's kingdom and his righteousness. Um, we think about the, the concept of righteousness. Uh, we need to remember that righteousness is through Jesus uh, and, and his perfect righteousness. Um, and, and then uh, growing in, in practical righteousness uh, every, every day of our lives. <clears throat> so as we think about this concept of seeking the Lord, uh, we should think about, you know, how uh, do, do we seek the Lord and, and how, how do we seek the Lord? Um, you know, it's, it's important that we uh, seek the Lord daily uh, through his, his word and through prayer. Um, and it, it takes intentionality, you know, that it doesn't just happen. Um, I have to be very intentional, you know, I'm uh, doing a lot of schoolwork right now, and in some ways, you know, in seminary, you are, you are learning about God, and all, but I also need just personal time to, to read his word and, and to pray and uh, to, to meditate on, on the truths of God's word, and, um, you know, so, sometimes I don't don't do a real good job of that, but this is a good reminder that of the importance of seeking the Lord and prioritizing that in our lives. <clears throat> uh, also, we can think of seeking the Lord not only just individually, but but in community. You know, with with other people, um, reading the Word and talking about it together, um, and then also, uh, you know, corporately like we're doing today um, as a as a whole church body as well. <clears throat> Uh, if we look at verse 4 through, through the rest of chapter 2, uh, I, I won't take the time to read all of it, but basically uh, this is talking about God's judgment on the other nations. Um, so some of, the, some of these nations are to the east, some are to the west, uh, some are to the north, and then there's some to the south. So basically this is just showing God's judgment uh, on all the nations, and that, and that he is Lord of all the nations. Um, we look at verse 6 and 7 of chapter 2. Uh, we see that God is going to turn these cities of wickedness, the, these other nations, into pastures for the people of Judah. Um, so the, the people of Judah are actually going to end up being able to possess uh, some of these lands. Um, we look at verse 8 through 10 of chapter 2. We see how God hears uh, how these, these other nations have taunted the people of Israel. And uh, God says that he's going to destroy uh, cities like Moab and the, the Ammonites. <clears throat> uh, and, and we see that, that pride is what causes the da- downfall of the Gentile nations. Um, if you look at, let's see. Uh, if you look at chapter 2, verse 10, it says, This shall be their lot in return for their pride, because they taunted and boasted against the people of the Lord of hosts. So uh, the pride of, of these Gentile nations is, is their downfall. Uh, it reminds us of verse like Proverbs 16, 18. It says, Pride goes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Uh, if we look at chapter 2, verse 12, we see that God is sovereign over the universe, and he will defeat all evil. Uh, verse uh, 12 says, You also, O Cushite, shall be slain by my sword. Um, and so really throughout chapter 2, just seeing that, that God is sovereign, and 
not just over the nation of, of uh, Judah, but over all the nations, and that he will uh, defeat all evil. If you look at uh, the last verse of chapter 2, verse 15, it says, This is the exultant city that lives securely, that said in her heart, I am, and there is no one else. What a, dele- what a desolation she has become, a lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fists. Um, so here we see that these Gentile nations were completely self-confident and they no longer acknowledged that anyone else really mattered. <clears throat> so we see a, a self-centered and self-focused uh, perspective, uh, self-confidence um, that, again, is unfortunately uh, not only pervasive in our culture but also in, in the church. Um, so we, we need to think about you know, how we can, can fight against this self-centered and self-confident perspective um, that, that causes us to, to you know, falsely live, live securely and, and just think that we're, we're the center of the universe. <clears throat> okay, if, as we move on to chapter 3, uh, says, chapter 3 opens like this, says, Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Um, so here uh, we continue again to, to see the theme of the rebellion of the nation of Judah. Uh, and, and it's described as not listening to anyone and accept, not accepting any correction. Uh, and, and also see that uh, there's a lack of trust in God, and therefore they don't, don't draw near to God. Uh, if you look at verse 3 and 4, um, it says, Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. Uh, so here we see the the wickedness and corruption of the priests. Um, so again, we we see not only uh, in Zephaniah the the wickedness and corruption of uh, these Gentile nations, but also rampant uh, wickedness and rebellion uh, with the the people of God, the very people that that had God's revelation and had His word, and, and not only that, but the leaders uh, of the people of God how. Uh, corrupt they were. <clears throat> this this is one way that we can see see Jesus through through this book because we we clearly see a need for a better high priest. Um, because uh, like the end of verse four says, her priests profane what is holy; they do violence to the law. And so we clearly need need a better high priest. And this reminds us that Jesus is is our better and perfect high priest. Um, if you think about it, uh, well, really all, all throughout the book of Hebrews, it shows this, but I'll just read, read one passage in Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews 9, 11 through 14 says this, <clears throat> But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, 
but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer uh, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Uh, so again, this is just a, a good description of um, Jesus as our better and, and perfect high priest. <clears throat> uh, if you look, so as we go back to, to Zephaniah, um, and look at verse 5, uh, chapter 3, verse 5, says, The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every, every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. So here we see that, that God is faithful uh, despite the unfaithfulness of the people. That he is, God is absolutely holy and perfectly just. And he sees all this uh, rebellion and, and idolatry and pride uh, that is going on, in, again, in the nation of Israel and all the Gentile nations. And because of that, he is, he is justly angry, uh, angry at, at sin. Um, and uh, just, just kind of a, a side note, uh, there was pretty immediate judgment that happened to the, the nation of Judah. Uh, so God did deliver on, on his promise. Uh, so just years after this prophecy, we know that Jerusalem was destroyed uh, by the Babylonians. And, and this is just a, a small foretaste uh, of what is one day coming on all of hum- humanity for those who do not repent. Uh, so this this um, destruction of Jerusalem was just a, a small foreshadowing of, of the great day of the Lord uh, and the, the final judgment to come uh, for those who do not repent and, and turn to the Lord. Uh, if you look at chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, uh, here we see that, that God desires uh, that the people fear him and accept his correction. Uh, so let, let's read verse 6 and 7. It says, I have cut off the nations, their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me, you will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Um, so God desires... Uh, that the people fear him and accept his correction, but instead, what happens? Well, they they continue to go their own way and dive deeper and deeper uh, into their own rebellion. And, and this is a a description of our own lives, uh, you know, apart from the grace of God, uh, that go deeper and deeper into our own sin and and wickedness. <clears throat> uh, if you look at the next verse, verse eight says, "Therefore, wait for me," declares the Lord, "for the day when I rise up to seize the prey." For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy all the earth shall be consumed. <clears throat> so here, again, see God's judgment because of the people's disobedience. And here we clearly see that this applies to, to everybody, both uh, Jews and Gentiles. Um, and so as we just kind of step back for a minute and, and think about what we've seen in this book so far, uh, again, like I said, it's been re- really one of the most sobering 
uh, books in all the Bible, and there do- doesn't seem to be uh, much much hope in this book. Uh, it just seems like over and over again you see the the sin of of God's people and the the other nations and His judgment for sin. Uh, so up to this point, it, it really seems like one of the most painful uh, books in the, in the Bible to read. But as we come to these closing verses, uh, we're going to see that the book takes a, a sharp turn. Um, so let, let me start by reading uh, verse 9 through the end of, of chapter 3. <clears throat> For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at that time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned in praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. <clears throat> so here, uh, Zephaniah, he, he gives this vision of, of God's blessing of reconciling, uh, of reconciliation, reaching the nations, and fulfilling the hopes of the Abrahamic covenant uh, promise all the way back in, in Genesis chapter 12. So here we see that, that God is going to cause a global awakening so that people from all nations uh, will turn to him in faith. <clears throat> uh, so this is just a good reminder of, of God's heart, um, for, not just for his, his own people, but, but for all the nations. And um, so it, it's good for us to reflect on how, how has God called us to, to reach the nations. And uh, as, as we're here in Auburn, uh, we have a, have a good opportunity to, to be a part of that. Uh, as we know, there's lots of uh, international uh, families and, and specifically international students here. And um, yeah, just the, the theme of this book, that God is, is just, um, so uh, not just just to the, the people of Israel, but also all nations. Uh, and so that people will, will perish apart from, from the gospel. And so how can we love the nations and, and point them uh, to the Savior. <clears throat> verse, uh, let's look at, at verse 14. It says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. 
Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Uh, so here we see those who receive salvation are called to sing and shout and rejoice uh, with all their heart. Um, and, you know, you just think about it, like we really do have every reason to rejoice uh, with all of our heart because of, because of God's uh, great salvation that he has given us. Uh, if you look at the next verse, verse 15, it says, The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, and you shall never again fear evil. So we see this phrase, King of Israel, uh, and we know that this is Jesus, uh, the, the true King of Israel. Uh, we realize that there is no judgment uh, for us at all, that God has taken away uh, all the judgment against us that we deserve, uh, that, that Jesus drank the cup of the wrath of God, and therefore uh, remains no judgment for us. And so what a, what a sweet uh, reminder that is. <clears throat> Verse 17, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, he will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Wow, what, what an amazing verse that is. Um, th- this is a great reminder that salvation is not just escape from God's judgment, but also entrance into God's joy. Uh, let me say that again. Uh, salvation is not just escape from God's judgment, but entrance into God's joy. Um, I think it's very important that we we see both of those, uh, the, the reality of both of those. Uh, so here we get this picture of God rejoicing in love over us um, on on that day, and this is really the the climax of the the whole book. Um, if you think about a verse like Isaiah sixty two verse five, it says this: As a bridegroom rejoices over her bride, so God will rejoice over you. Uh, and so the, the great truth is that for those who are in Christ, this is how God feels about us. <clears throat> so let, let's stop and think a minute. Um, can, can we feel the, the great wonder and, and all of this that, that God is actually rejoicing over us, uh, that, that God doesn't just tolerate us, but that he's actually rejoicing over us uh, for, for those who are in, in Christ? And I, I think there's a few, uh, few obstacles to that, and, and they're really mentioned here in this text. Uh, the first one would be just feelings of guilt and how that can hinder us from really feeling the wonder of, of God rejoicing over us. Um, and, and it answers it in, in verse 15. Uh, let's look at that again. It says, The Lord has taken away the judgments against you, He has cleared away your enemies. Um, so we clearly see that. Uh, that God has taken away our guilt, that he has taken away the judgment that we deserved. Um, another obstacle, uh, may just just uh, feeling like we're surrounded by our enemies. Uh, and again, it, it addresses that in verse 17. Uh, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Um, you know, an, another uh, obstacle that we could feel is just just feeling that God is is distant. But here we see, um, like in verse fifteen, the King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. Um, so we we see that that God is 
is near uh, to us. Um, and, and another obstacle could be that we, we feel enslaved to our own shame. Um, and, and again, uh, the text uh, answers that as well. In, in verse 19, it says, Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. So uh, we see how the gospel uh, re- removes our guilt. Um, and you know, if we're feeling distant from God, that the reality is that God is near to us through Christ and that um, he, he has taken our shame. Uh, Spurgeon has a good quote. He says, Believer, you are happy when God blesses you, but not as happy as God is. You are glad when you are pardoned, but he who pardons you is more glad. The prodigal son came back to his home, was very happy to see his father, but not as delighted as his father was to see him. The father's heart was more full of joy because his heart was larger than his son's. Um, Let me read that one more time. Believer, you are happy when God blesses you, but not as happy as God is. You are glad when you are pardoned, but he who pardons you is more glad. The prodigal son came back to his home and was very happy to see his father, but not as delighted as his father was to see him. The father's heart was more full of joy because his heart was larger than his son's. So great reality is that because of Christ, God's heart is completely for us. And so uh, our thoughts of the gospel should also include include God's joy over his people. Um, so again, as we, as we come to a close, uh, you know, again, we see a lot of um, the, the sin of, of the people and God's, God's judgment upon sin, but here at the end, we also see uh, God's great mercy and grace that he has offered us uh, in Christ. And, you know, you, you could, could wonder why does this book spend so much time focusing on, on sin and God's judgment? And uh, I, I don't know exactly the answer to that, but, but it is true that uh, until we really see the reality of our own sin and the seriousness of God's justice and holiness, the good news will, will not be as good to us. And so I think this book is a great uh, reminder of that truth. Of, uh, man, it really shows us... Um, how how sinful we how sinful we really are, and how just and holy God is. Um, but it also shows us God's incredible grace to us, uh, offered through Christ, and the the hope that we have in Him. Uh, and so, let's uh, I'll close this in prayer, and then we can talk around the tables.